Peter is dining with the Gentiles. But as soon as certain Jewish men enter in, he gets up and separates from the Gentiles. But as Paul discovers this, he comes to bring about a famous, harsh rebuke of Peter. But how can Paul rebuke this leader of the early church before all of these men in this matter? How is it justified? And what was Peter's error truly? Many within Christianity have theorized that Peter's error was expecting Gentiles to obey the law of God and that Paul's teaching thereby is that Gentiles should ignore the law of God. But what is the teaching truly here for us? I want to submit to you that many interpretations before us have completely ignored the cultural context revealed in the Bible between Jews and Gentiles in the first century as well as many of the teachings that we must understand before we can understand this passage as laid out in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 15. We must understand Peter's journey leading up to this moment to understand his motives for drawing away from these Gentiles. Let's answer the big question. Why did Paul rebuke Peter so harshly? What was Peter's error truly? And how do we not make the same mistake? Let's dig right in. Let us read Galatians 2 verse 11. But when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, Paul writes, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force Gentiles then to live like Jews? All right. And this that last part there is where many draw their conclusion for this entire situation. But that should actually only be our starting point to figure out what's really going on. Because we need to ask a few questions like, what does it mean to live like a Jew? What does it mean to live like a Gentile? And what was that relationship really? And who are these people of the circumcision party? Because they weren't just any Jews. They were a specific type of Jew with specific beliefs. Now, this conflict of lifestyles must be understood by us. When you think about living like a Gentile or living like a Jew, you must understand that for the most part, Jewish people ate with Jewish people and Gentiles ate with Gentiles. There wasn't a mix as today in most of uh, the Western culture, at least today, 
We don't think twice about whether someone is a Jew or a Gentile as to whether we would eat with them. But back then, it wasn't that way. However, even in Israel today, there are Jewish people who would not eat with a Gentile. See this interview with a rabbi in Jerusalem. What this ultra-Orthodox Jewish rabbi says is, well, no, it would be forbidden because what if he switches your food with unkosher food or or what if, you know, you end up fostering some relationship and you end up having being someone marrying into that family, Jews and non-Jews. Oh, no, like this mindset is still in the minds of some. Now, it's very important for me to to state here that these are by no means all Jews, how they think, or even most. But I'm trying to say that there are Jewish people today who hold to the same mindset as they held to in the first century when all of this between Peter and Paul and those Gentiles were going down. And of course, this certain type of Jew, what we would call today the ultra-Orthodox, in this passage, within the book of Galatians was called the circumcision party. And I want to submit to you this circumcision party. We must have heard about them before. Who are they? The Bible tells us about them. They are in the book of Acts chapter 15, the very same group of Jews who came to bring a certain complaint against Gentiles, a complaint that Gentiles must learn all of the law of Moses in order for them to be saved. And the Jerusalem Council comes to the conclusion that no, we have all been saved by faith and that the law of Moses and obedience to that will do nothing in of itself for our salvation. However, They conclude it would be good for these Gentiles to visit the synagogue to hear the law of Moses being read, as is the practice in all of Israel in the first century during their day. And they gave them a few commandments to begin keeping, such as fleeing from idol worship, food sacrifice to idols, sexual immoralities and so forth. And so the teaching was give them a a call to repent from their idol worship, their sins. And that's what we would do today. If there is anyone who comes into the faith, but they're an alcoholic, they're doing drugs, they're 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 sleeping with prostitutes, uh, whatever things of that nature. That's what we're going to call them to. We're going to say repent from that, turn from those things. Right. And then we will start talking about other things regarding the word, other obediences and commandments that they ought to keep. But we recognize that they are still saved from by their faith in Yeshua and not after fulfilling some standard of how many commandments before they're now saved. Acts 15 give, gave an important instruction for us to combat 
the false gospel of save by law keeping, the gospel that those of the circumcision party hoped to introduce. And so today I want to submit to you, many of the circumcision party teach similar things. They teach that it is necessary for someone to be circumcised before they can be saved, that the blood of the circumcision is what cleanses them. This is contrary, contrary to the gospel of Christ, which teaches it's the blood of Christ that sanctifies. And it is not by our own works, but by his, but by Yeshua's, what the Messiah has done for us and making us clean. This is all very important because this is the very same ideology that's being fought by Paul. That is why Paul revisits the gospel of being saved by faith after speaking with Peter and the rest. Galatians 2.15, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through the faith in Jesus Christ. These Jews who are approaching Peter as he's dining with the Gentiles are holding to this belief that Jews should not eat with Gentile sinners, for they may be impure. They may be sexually immoral. They may have idol worship. They may have food sacrificed to idols, even in the house, or they may even be eating unclean food. Regardless of what it is, this thought, this idea was floating around similarly when Jesus was walking uh, in, in his ministry as he was dining. They accused him of similar things. We read in Matthew 9, verse 10, And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. You can't do this, Jesus. That's, that is going to be the, the idea of what he's doing. Because as a Jew, Jews eat with Jews. Jews don't eat with Gentiles. And that's why it says in verse 11, When the Pharisees saw this, They said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard this, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Yeshua Jesus is not following the mindset of the Jewish people in his day, at least what some of them thought. But why? He said, I am dining with them because I have come for those who are sick. I have come to call those not who are righteous, but sinners so they can be set free and become a witness of my glory and power to save. The reason that this all is, is because of the wedding parable that Jesus told his disciples. He said that there was a wedding, right? And at this wedding, people were invited who were the guests. But the guests said, oh, we're busy. Oh, we can't make it. And then the host said, well, what then? Go into all the streets and corners and find anyone you can find. Go in Matthew 22.10. Those servants went into the roads and gathered all whom they could find, both bad and good. 
So the wedding hall was filled with guests. See, brothers and sisters, in times of old, God has said and spoken, and it is true to the Jew first. Yeshua has come for the house of Israel. He is the Jewish Messiah. But there were some whom he called and invited to the wedding who said, no, we're too busy for that. And so Yeshua went and also visited those who are Gentiles and called them those Gentile sinners that Peter was dining with. And this should be obvious because the gospel was to the Jew first, but ultimately God's desire has always been to bring it to the entire world. And that in of itself means that we need to be able to witness to sinners, including sharing a meal with them for the purpose, with the intention of sharing the good news of Yeshua and the open door of justification by faith that we can be saved from our sin by the power of the blood of the Messiah. And this should not be a shock at all to Peter. Think about it. Acts 10 happened where Peter and Cornelius, you know, God came to show Peter don't call any man unclean, as Peter concluded from his dream. And that means, wow, I don't have to worry about dining with Gentiles. I can actually dine with them in order to be a witness to them. And the house of Cornelius had fruit come. They believed in the gospel. Acts 15 happens. Peter is present there, surely. And he should know that they come to the conclusion that we are all saved by faith and that we should not put a burden on the shoulders of Gentiles that not even the fathers could bear. What is the burden? The burden to obey all of the law of God perfectly in order to gain acceptance from God. That is salvation. We should always be hungry and running after righteousness to be filled by righteousness. But there isn't a it isn't our righteousness and of our own works that brings us salvation. We are hungry to look more like Yeshua and we will be filled for that. But we do it because we love him and not because we are trying to save ourselves. What the scriptures do teach us is that there the only real place to not dine with someone is if they are a brother and yet a sinner. In other words, when someone is not in the faith, we go and we eat with them to be a witness. But if they are in the faith, yet they have fallen deeply into sin and are in need of repentance, we cannot dine with them. That is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 5.11. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of a brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality, greed, idolater, reviler, drunkard, swindler, not even to each with such a one. So now this brings us to our concluding thoughts. Now we have all of the information we need to really understand what went down between Peter and Paul. First off, why why did Peter separate from these Gentiles? He was supposed to know all of what we have just been talking about so far in this teaching. 
Christianity has traditionally taught that Peter's error was the he, that he expected the Gentiles to obey God's law. I want to submit to you that the reality is, is that Paul's issue was with Peter was that he was imposing a certain standard of keeping God's law for the purpose of keeping association with that person and ultimately salvation. Peter, by standing up when the Jewish people walk in, is signaling thereby to these Gentiles that I cannot associate with you because you are not morally pure enough for me to associate with you. You have not met the certain law keeping standard, whatever that is in the minds of the men who have approached those Jews who have approached because you have not fulfilled that standard. I cannot associate with you. And of course, the conclusion of that is if Peter, the leader of the church, cannot even associate, cannot even speak with me, cannot even dine with me. What does that mean regarding my salvation? What does that mean regarding my standing with the Father, with Yeshua? Would Yeshua say, I can't dine with you because you're not perfect yet? Yeshua was dining with them all the time. So there was a hypocrisy that Paul was pointing out in Peter, that even though Peter actually believed the same as Paul regarding sanctification, salvation and the law, Peter was coerced by the peer pressure of the Jewish circumcision party who walked in to separate from these Gentiles. Paul tells Peter, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force Gentiles to live like Jews? Okay, that's that's a mouthful. Let's just break that down and think about what he's actually saying there for a moment. If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, what does that mean? Living like a Gentile, that implies you eat with Gentiles. And that is true. Paul is pointing out, Peter, you have eaten with Gentiles before. Do you remember Cornelius? Do you remember uh, uh, what the Father has shown you? Do you remember the example of Yeshua eating with tax collectors? Surely you were there and, and saw that yourself. So... You live like a Gentile in this world who eats with Gentiles. And then the second part of the statement, and not like a Jew, because Jews do not eat with Gentiles. And then he says, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? In other words, how can you force Gentiles to live like Jews? How can you tell them that in order for you to live like a Jew, that is to be able to dine with Jews, to dine with me, who is a Jew, you need to live to that standard. What is that standard? It is the standard of the circumcision party to keep the law of God to their standards, to be circumcised for that matter, in order to be able to dine and be considered part of the household of God. While Yeshua said there is no Jew or Greek, we are all one in Christ. Paul was so serious in his rebuke of Peter with great reason and necessity because ultimately Peter was compromising for the sake of a false gospel. The circumcision party 
was bringing in a false gospel that you are saved by your circumcision, that you are saved by your own works or keeping the law of Moses, that they idolized the tradition of the elders and doctrines of rabbis above the teaching of Yeshua that taught that I am the one to believe in for salvation. So Peter compromising on this is compromising on the single most important thing there is, and that is the gospel itself. It actually hurts the gospel to tell these Gentiles that you can't dine with me. And Peter, as the leader of the early church, saying to Gentiles, I can't associate with you from the Gentiles perspective. That's like Yeshua. That's like Jesus telling them, I can't associate with you. And that's a very serious matter, because remember in the ancient culture that eating with someone is symbolic of accepting association and uh, fellowship, friendship. So if I don't eat with you, that says a lot more than just the fact that I'm not hungry to eat with you. And of course, if this teaching continued forth of non-association with Gentiles, how could the message of the gospel ever reach whom Yeshua intended the world? So this teaching is a warning against compromise. We can recognize that, as Paul said in Galatians 2, verse 9, we should go to the Gentiles, speaking of Paul, and they, speaking of Peter, should go to the circumcised. Peter's heart was obviously to go to the circumcision, to those who are Jewish people. And so he wanted to evangelize them. He wanted to be a witness to them. And and that's awesome. And and Paul, he wanted to go to the uncircumcised, the Gentiles, as they were known as. And so that's where his heart is. However, Peter compromised in reaching the Gentiles for the sake of trying to reach the Jews in a way of compromise that is not acceptable. When we are sent to people, We are supposed to try and connect with them in a way where we can witness to them best, but not with compromise of the gospel itself or with our own lawlessness. We cannot sin and hope to to reach a sinner. We cannot drink with an alcoholic. We have to be a witness of our Messiah who walked in righteousness. And if we imitate him in walking in that same righteousness, then that is the best witness that we can give to someone while upholding what the gospel is. This is a lesson also about how we ought to associate even with those who still need spiritual growth, with those who are perfect, those who still have some laws to learn, for those who still have Bibles, Bibles, more Bible studies to attend for those not as spiritually mature as we are, whether they know it or even recognize that fully or not, we should still be there to love them and dine with them because that's the best way so that we can be a witness to them and bring them into a deeper revelation of what it means to walk like Yeshua. The teaching ultimately, therefore, as we see is, is not that that Paul is teaching us even as Gentiles, even us, the uncircumcision 
to disregard the law of God. He is teaching us that we should connect with one another, stay connected, learn from one another, but all ultimately look to Yeshua, the one who saves us and the one whom we should imitate and the one whose righteousness we should walk in. He did not die for us Gentiles to say, well, I'm glad that he kept the Sabbath, so I don't need to. I'm glad that he ate clean, so I don't need to. I'm glad that he uh, walked in a love for neighbors and enemies alike, so I don't need to. He has called us to repent of all of these things, what, no matter what it is, to be molded more into his image. And if there's any theology that causes you to not look more like Yeshua, then that is a false theology. Hey, if this teaching has been a blessing to you, go to the comment section. Tell me what you think about Paul and Peter's dispute for a deeper dive into some of what we talked about here today. Go check out my teaching on Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council here.